Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Hi, this is Colin. You're about to hear a recording from the Twain House. It was last week, if that means anything to you, with Larry Wilmore, who's a legendary television guy, worked on uh, the Bernie Mac show, In Living Color, Blackish, and of course appeared on The Daily Show as senior black correspondent and then hosted The Nightly Show. This was a wide-ranging and sometimes raucous conversation. You're going to hear a couple of words that are kind of on the bubble in terms of appropriateness for public radio. So I'm warning you now, if you're by words like that. Don't listen, but do listen because it's a really great conversation. So Larry got here in the late afternoon today and he's been touring around and I, I'm not going to lie to you, we've taken a lot of Ambien. Uh, yeah. There's going to be a lot of racist things said right, tonight. I'm, just, right? uh, <laughs> yes. I'm feeling like really oh, crazy man. right now. I'm feeling Whew. like I want to say... I took some Excedrin. I am so homophobic right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's that extra strength. It does right. it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, obviously this is no holds barred here. They, and they took us upstairs and they brought out these yeah. relics. Yeah, these that strange. was awesome. Did yeah. you have a particular favorite? There was like I, re- I just wanted to touch one, but, you know, when they put the gloves on, I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I don't think they want a brother to touch these things. Right. You know? <laughs> it was like a subtle little message, you know. Right. Like, because they didn't even say anything. They just said, eh, now we're going to look at this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But there was like this boat that that's, yeah. uh, this burglar had made. I still don't understand that story. Try to tell the story. I don't understand the story. <laughs> somebody went to jail and then they made a boat and it's in the Twain uh, artifacts. So yeah. the way that it works is, yeah, somebody burgled. Or a the, ship. The, or yeah, they, like somebody right. burgled the Twain house. Right. And they sent him to prison. That sounds very dirty, by the way, the yeah. way you say that. Right. Yes. Um, I didn't know you could burgle the Twain house. Yeah, I, didn't know, I didn't know that was possible. Um and then he got out of prison, right. and he brought him this incredibly elaborate, yeah. multi-mask. It's kind of like when a dog brings you the dead bird in its mouth and it kind of <laughs> lays it down, or the cat does that. That's what it felt like to me. That's right. what that ship kind of represented. Right. So anyway... It was seen... no Shawshank, is what we're saying. Right. Right. There was no elaborate escape. Yeah. <laughs> We've seen things, basically, that you will never see. And, it was in, and I saw the Twain house. Very interesting. I, I wasn't there for that. How'd that go? I didn't know that the body was going to be there. I had no idea. Was, uh, they don't tell you that when you go over there. You just go, and here's where the body is. It's pretty cool, though. He looks great. Right. And then they made, yeah. they made you put the rubber gloves on for that <laughs> yes, part. Yes, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. um, no, it was very cool. Yeah. yeah. So I have to say that you guys are here, and it's, it's Wednesday night. And I have to say also, this, as Jennifer was saying, there's also going to be a radio audience that will be hearing this, actually, I think six days from now. So all kinds of things will have happened that, like, you know... Why is there a six-day delay? I don't know. What is that? There's like, we so, don't know what Larry is going to say. <laughs> so I we should got to comb through right. these... Uh, we should just say that... To the radio audience, we yeah. don't know about all the things that have happened. The world's going to... Six days, the world right. changes, I mean, right. incredibly. Michael Jackson is still alive. Uh, Nexium is people. <laughs> yeah. And, and maybe they'll know... Do you have a theory about where Melania has been all this time? Do you have, a, like, a Melania theory? We can go back to the Shawshank theory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think she just had surgery, right? Right. Yeah, so she's probably recovering. A month ago she had surgery. Yeah. 
like Frahenia. Give the sister a chance, man. Let her recover. <laughs> I don't. I don't worry about where Melania is. I keep my eye on the main target. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like a like a deranged puppy that's out of control. I want to know he's not digging up some very important things in our garden. So. That's what I'm concerned about. Yeah. See, he's got since he's got Buster, he's doing more puppy rubbing. Yeah, it's my right? dog. I got yeah. a little dog. Yeah. yeah. How, how is where, where is Buster? Why is Buster's Buster? at home? My son and my brother are watching Buster. I got a, a little white lab named Buster. My son named him, and he's the cutest little thing. But they do they should be called poopies, not puppies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's amazing, and they're proud of it too. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I see. I see what you okay. did. Yeah. So, so you got one that was incontinent. Uh, no, yeah. he's normal. That can, is that what can he be is. corrected. No, I think. yeah. But they're so cute. You don't yeah. mind. That's how it works, right? So what? I like. I'm really loving the new podcast, Black Thank you. Air. It's, thank you. And yeah, oh, yeah. Thank you. See you listening. To That's awesome. And I love the monologue where you just kind of, you know, in a very relaxed way, kind of just walk through. Uh, everything that's happening. Right. So, you know, <laughs> in a very unprepared way, yeah. Larry. But I, I like that. <laughs> you sound prepared to be unprepared. Oh, well, thank yeah. you very much. So, today, here on this particular day, we mm -hmm. have the news that if you're really in a lot of trouble and you need help from the government and from mm -hmm. the president, Kim Kardashian is maybe your best bet, right? I mean, hey, man, Kim K, you know, do what you got to do. Right. Uh, actually, the, the story behind that, I know right. a little about that. She, yeah, I know you do. She actually was supportive of this, you know, out of the spotlight and behind the scenes. She uh, learned about Alice Marie Johnson, I think is her name, her yes. story a while ago. And she actually was not trying to get credit for this. She was mm -hmm. kind of doing it behind the scenes. It's something that Jared and Ivanka, I guess, were, were helping them with. And I was telling my friend, and he said, why are these people that I hate doing this nice thing? <laughs> He's like, what is this bizarre universe? Larry, I can't take it. It was hilarious. He just... He couldn't take it. It's like his body was being pained right. as I was telling him this story. Yeah. And it could right. be like the whole Kanye thing was a ruse. <laughs> yes, like, to distract us. <laughs> yeah. Okay, look, right. I didn't mean any of that stuff. Slavery is an option. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> but it is, I, I do think that one of the things that we, well, I mean, like there was Bono and George W. Bush. So this is sure. unprecedented. AIDS but, in Africa. Bush right. was very important in that. He, he, once again, didn't get a lot of credit for that, but he did a lot of work there. And, but I think for Trump, I mean, you need a reality show. You need, like, a minimum honey boo-boo to go to bat for you. <laughs> uh, well, but Trump, even if this is a good thing, he does so many horrible things around it, and then he mixes the good things with all these questionable, horrible things. You can't even, like, applaud for the good thing or, no. or give somebody credit. And he's going to take the credit himself anyway, so it's kind of a waste of giving credit. <laughs> so uh, and the same with pardon. He'll pardon himself for right. Yeah. So uh, why well, even say it's okay? You don't even have to say that. He's going to pardon himself. You know. He's in a pardon frenzy right now. I mean, yeah. he's like he's he's warming up. Yeah, he's in a pardon out of control. Yeah. Right. So uh, you and I were talking about this earlier today. Bill Clinton has taken this particular moment mm -hmm. to kind of reemerge. <laughs> right. This questionable moment. Yeah. yeah. Like what? What is the upside for him? I don't here? know what's going on with that. Um, there now you talk about Ambien that could be at, at yeah. play here. <laughs> I mean, if ever somebody needed a heavy dose of it. <laughs> but I don't know if you want that to be the spokesperson of the Me Too movement, you know. Right. Yeah, that's very. That's just kind of creepy. I know. He just kind of, yeah. and he like in the interviews, he just says, "Well, 
obviously, I think the, the Me Too movement is really important. Uh, so, so somebody should have done something about me. You know. <laughs> uh, there's no self-awareness in either of the Clintons. It's really amazing. Yeah. And he, he thinks like it, he's still the president. Like yeah. there's something at stake there in what side we're going to take. It's like, no, you're, you're an abuser. You know, we don't care. <laughs> Sorry for my language in the Twain house, but... <laughs> but it's like, no, you can't treat women like that. Nobody's... You can't get off the hook for that. Sorry, be honest. Hmm. Be honest, direct, use clear language, and speak directly to us. Don't speak around us. Right, and mm -hmm. I, like, what does he want right now? I mean, like, Bush just went back to He Crawford. wants people to forget that yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, like, he wants... Clinton is one of those people, he's a politician that loves to be loved. You know, that's why I feel your pain, you know, because yeah. he wants you to yeah. love him. Oh, I love you. Oh, thank you. That was the idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But he's part of, that was his gift as a politician was his empathetic approach, mm. you know, of being able to feel people's pain, empathize with them. But he was, I mean, super smart and all that stuff. But the other side of it was he had some issues, some mm. really horrible issues that unfortunately he worked out in public, you know. Right. And yeah, so he can't be talking about it. I called him a super predator on my show. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Hillary, there, you were married to a super predator. That's what it was. Call them brothers there. You got a lot of nerve. Anyhow, that's a different... Uh, so the other thing that we've been living through, and you've been talking about this on the show, is a period in which people fight through invitations, right? You've got uh, the Markle Harrys who don't want Trump to be at their wedding, and you've mm -hmm. got McCain who doesn't want Trump to be at his funeral. Now he says he doesn't want any eagles at the yeah. Super Bowl. So it seems like a Super Bowl celebration without the team is yeah. a little odd somehow. <laughs> if you're not an Eagles fan, you have to be now. I mean, <laughs> that's fantastic, you guys. I mean, come on. This is one of those unbelievable, great, hilarious, even, it's even nonpartisan to me, you know. 53 players on a football team, 46 of them don't want to go. Mm. You, that's like an unbelievable, great practical joke, too, you know. Yeah. But, but, but the, the, the not wanting to go at that number is amazing to me. And then Trump turns around to disinvite them, you know. <laughs> well, you can't come anyway, you know. It's, guys, this is hilarious. These things that are happening to you, we, please appreciate how funny this is. I mean, it's horrific at the same time, a lot of them, too. Don't get me wrong. But that is hilarious. And, but he does it as if we, we, we're not smart enough to know that he's doing that. Right. Like, we didn't see the first invite. <laughs> right? Like, somehow we were just like, oh, what's the, oh, the president disinvited some people. Okay, well. And you've been talking about it's this really also. amazing to but me. There's also been a weird inversion of the idea of kneeling, right? Like you better not oh, kneel. You better not be kneeling because that's disrespectful. Well, I'm Catholic, so I have a different relationship <laughs> to kneeling. You know? yeah. I mean, <laughs> you kneel just when you go to school. You know? <laughs> um, but that whole thing to me, there's so much to unpack there where Trump is disingenuous. And, I, and you know, the whole Colin Kaepernick issue with the kneeling and all that stuff. And he did it at, he, Colin Kaepernick really did that as his own personal form of activism. He didn't even do it to get other people to do it. He wasn't trying to get people on his train. He's just an activist. Like, you go to dinner with him, he's probably an activist. He said, man, God, I just want to eat. Man, why we got to protest dessert? I mean, seriously, you know? <laughs> like, he's that kind of activist. He's going he's gonna to protest everything, right? That's just who he is. I think most football players, by the way, I think football is the most conservative sport mm -hmm. where players 
and I mean socially conservative, like they have probably the most prayer groups and that type of thing, you know. It's just some, something in the culture, you know. I think football players by their nature, they're just not activists, you know. And, uh, but when the president inserted himself into it and called them sons of bitches, you know, that got football players really upset because it was such, there was no need to make that kind of personal attack or to insert himself, you know. And then I think a lot of players started kneeling in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick, even forgetting probably what the issue is, not everybody, but I think the majority did it in solidarity with him and against that kind of rhetoric, mm -hmm. you know. And this issue, the other side of it for me, is this whole notion of, like I always say, patriotism and criticism are two different things. That's why they're two different words. That's why we have language, right? <laughs> right? right? <laughs> I mean, you are allowed to criticize your country. It has nothing to do with patriotism. Patriotism is a whole different thing. One does not have to be in the Venn diagram with the other, mm. right? It really does not, unless you want to make it that way. There are some types of criticism which you could call unpatriotic, such as burning a flag. But just the mere criticism of your country as somehow having to do with patriotism is ridiculous. It's a non sequitur. But when Trump draw in to insert football as some sort of patriotic act that requires a national anthem to be sung before it is ridiculous. Yeah, let's sing how proud we are of our country before we bash each other's heads in. Is ridiculous. It's a game with a ball, you guys. Why is there why do we have to but say anything about the country before we should we should sing it after the game and make sure everybody's okay. <laughs> Everybody okay? Okay. Oh, say okay. I mean, just to be sh just to be safe, you know. But drawing all these parallels with the military and all these things with the song and just the kneeling is it's so insane to me at this point. I actually had called for my pockets. I wanted the players to stop kneeling because I felt the meaning had kind of gone, gone out of it, really, mm -hmm. you know? And I'm, I'm a person, when I was, even uh, like when my kids were young, when I was young, I, I was always a very patriotic person. I always had a flag outside my house, that type of thing. I made my kids stand, put their, take their hat off. You know, it always meant something to me, you know? So I don't like the mix of criticism and patriotism. I just think they're two different things, you know? You know, I want to go back to this whole idea of invitations, too, and declining invitations and, and refusing invitations. And I know this is something that you noticed, too. Like, John McCain is really, like, he's in control of his funeral, right? It's he's, unbelievable. Yeah. He's out ahead of his funeral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John McCain's not, not kidding around. He's like, no, bitches, he is not coming to my funeral. <laughs> no, no, no. I got the list right here, checking it twice. <laughs> <laughs> And I feel like maybe that's a lesson to, maybe we should all be doing that. Like, okay, you can. <laughs> Planning our funerals right now? Maybe yeah. so. Yeah, know. or at least the guest list. There's people you don't want at your funeral, probably, you know, might want to go. You know, kind of, I mean, think about this, though, you know, <laughs> that John McCain has to disinvite the President of the United right. States. <laughs> think about that, you guys. This is what I mean. It's crazy. Yeah. It doesn't, the fact that he would have to do that. Right. G to go through that and make sure, no, 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 listen to me, read my lips, he's not coming to right. my funeral. Like, he, they uh, made sure he didn't go to the royal wedding, I right. think, right? Yeah. He's, well, he I, really wanted to go to that. You know? Yeah. Right. 
Well, and that, well, first of all, I think with McCain, he should go one step further and give the spot away. This, like, Flava Flav has your spot now. <laughs> Someone else? Yeah. You right. can't come because, right. you know. Or give it to Kanye. Kanye. Oh, Kanye. Right? Well, there you go. No, he'd like that. So you brought that upon yourself, Mr. President. Sorry. Right. But in the royal wedding, also, something you've talked about a lot. I mean, this is really kind of amazing when you think about which part? Which the one? royal wedding? I mean, oh, this yeah. is like the whitest family in the world, basically, and arguably ever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. With the exception of the first albino family, right? Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. people didn't know what was going on when that happened. Yeah. They're like, Whoa! <laughs> wow. Oh my God! Yeah. What is? What just happened here? Yeah. But it's kind of cool. You know, the idea that Meghan Markle would be, yeah. you know, a duchess, I guess, is what she is, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it is interesting when you look at her life and where she came from mm-hmm. and that whole royals. But I, it might be hilarious, though, if she gets in there and is like, man, these people are hooked up. <laughs> like, if it's just a mess, you know, like those soap operas and all that stuff. And the queen, that's when you see the queen really yelling at people. And stuff, you know? <laughs> I mean, it might be a mess in there. You never right. know. Because on the outside, you think, yeah, royalty and all that stuff. It takes, it's a real burden on your time, though, when you're a royal. Your your yeah. life is oh, gone. Yeah. No, you don't have time to watch the basketball playoffs. Or nothing. Like that. No, nothing. Right. You're um, done. You can't come to the train house and check right. it out. Uh, I want to talk to you about you, yeah. what turns out to be kind of a surprising passion for you, and that is the series The Americans, which just uh-huh. wrapped up. You guys like The Americans? Yeah. yeah. It's great. So, Stan, come on. you got to feel for Stan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Poor Stan. FBI yeah. agent. Just trying to do the right thing. You know? <laughs> and trying to have a friend. <laughs> yeah. trying Russian to have a agents friend. living next door. Yeah. You know. well, and, and Stan really needed a friend, somebody he could trust. Yeah. It turns out to be this guy who's been living undercover for Are 25 years. Are you looking years. for a metaphor for our present times? <laughs> <laughs> Very possibly, yeah. I, well. I mean, what was it that you liked about it so much? Well, I like good shows, first of all, but I mean... It was so well done, so well written. The show was really about loyalties, uh, if you guys have seen the show. But loyalties in a way that I haven't seen dramatized because what the show did, it made you empathetic and root for people who were in the business of destroying our country. And you're like, what? <laughs> How'd that happen? You know. So it's very disarming when you realize that. You're going, wait, what did the writers do? How did they do that? But it's so interesting and captivating the way that they do that. They really humanize this act of spying and covert uh, thing that happened, which is based on a true story. You guys heard of that story about the sleeper cells mm-hmm. that were here, that the Russian ones. I think they were caught recently, like 2010 or something. Mm-hmm. They unearthed it, you know. But what was interesting is showing that nice, happy couple with the kids and all that kind of stuff. And, and it actually said a lot about America by showing people who were Americanized, you know, right. for that reason. <clears throat> you know, and all about secrets and deals and all this type of stuff, as well as being a, a spy thriller. It was about marriage as well, which mm-hmm. um, Joel Fields, who was the, one of the producers of it, talked about too. And, and all the things that happen in a marriage, that metaphor with spying and stuff too. It was just a great show. If you haven't seen it, binge it. It's yeah. really good. Really and, and, good. And without doing a spoiler, and I won't, um, it, one of the last things you see is, let's just say, one or more of the characters. Spoiler you, alert! It's not, that's not a spoiler. <laughs> that's not a spoiler so far. Uh, beholding the skyline of Moscow. It, and, and what they're looking at, or what somebody's looking at, you realize they may think it's Gorbachev's Rus- Russia. They may s- not understand the degree to which it's 
going to be Putin's Russia. Mm. There's sort of that this wonderful moment where they're maybe full of hope. They've really sort of come to the point of Gorbachev's ascent and of Glasnost kicking in. Yeah. And we're sitting there looking at that with the information that we've got, you know. Yeah, to me it's kind of like the end of The Graduate. You guys seen right. The Graduate, that movie where... They get you on know, the bus. Elaine, Elaine, you know, they get on the bus, it's that rush of adrenaline, and then they sit there. And then it goes on just a beat long enough for her to look at him and go, what if we just do, you know? <laughs> just Mike Nichols, it was brilliant, you know. It just went on long enough. I know that wasn't scripted. It wasn't in there. Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's just, you know, just long enough for having it. And that moment was kind of like that for me. And so uh, I want to talk just a little bit more about the podcast. Do you have sort of a working hypothesis of what you want the podcast to be? Well, the podcast really is a conversation, mm -hmm. is what I really want it to be. It's one of the things I've tried to do in many things that I've done. The show, The Nightly Show, was kind of put forth. Oh, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We were going to get to that. But, uh, one of the goals of The Nightly Show, which came from John Stewart, by the way. It was his idea to do it was to have that conversation. We always say, let's have a conversation. We've got to have a conversation. And so we really tried to do that with the show mm -hmm. and to have it with people we don't always get to see on television and talk about things we don't always talk about on television, those uncomfortable things. The podcast is a little different in that I want to talk to people I find interesting and in certain types of subjects and have more of a long-form conversation rather than a shorter one that we usually get on television and that type of thing and try to see what that person is. And then the first part of it is I'm having a conversation with the audience, mm. you know, just sharing my thoughts and that. And we'll see how, if the show, if it develops from there. But right now I'm having a lot of fun with it. That yeah, kind of thing. I, I love that conversation that you're having. And Thank what you. I notice, I could be wrong about this, is that, I mean, I, I think I said relaxed. I mean, I, I feel like the nightly show, starting that up, there must have been an awful lot of pressure. Yeah, it was. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. What, what was the pressure that you felt? <clears throat> well, I've... I've been fortunate enough, I've created several shows in television. They're always pressure-filled when you're doing it. It's, it's so much pressure, just when you're behind the scenes doing it. This is the first time I was doing something where I was creating. I was both behind the scenes and in front of the camera. So you have the pressure of being a producer, and you have the pressure of being a performer. And they're not quite the same thing. You know, The burden of being a producer and trying to do a show is you want all the moving parts to work properly. You want to make sure the show is the show that you envisioned it to be, you know, and and that it's going to work and that they're going to enjoy it and that they're going to laugh and that it'll stay on. As a performer, it's all like vanity issues. Oh, man, how fat do I look right now, you know? <laughs> oh, no one's going to like me, you know? It's 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 so, it's so really like you're in middle school, you know, the, <laughs> the ego of a performer and the psyche. It really is, and it's terrible because it drives you crazy and you're like... Oh, I'm not going to be good. Oh, you know, people aren't going to like me. It's all these horrible thoughts that invade you and trying to get good to it. And um, one of the things that helped me when I got close to it, whenever I do a show, and I've talk, I talk about writing a lot too, mm -hmm. especially with young people and that kind of thing, and I mentor young kids on writing. One of the things I always tell them is, like, if you're going to write something, you have to know what it's about. You know, you, you don't just create a conflict and dramatize that conflict. You end up doing that, but you have to do that once you know what something's about. I'll give you an example. Like the show, The Bernie Mac Show, that I did. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen The Bernie Mac Show, Bernie Mac comedian, little kids. <coughs> but the, what that show was, a, the premise was Bernie takes in his sister's kids who was, she was on crack, and he takes them in, and he has to raise them. But what the show was about was children are terrorists, I don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's about. So that's what you're dramatizing, right? So that's the DNA that's in every scene. So as a writer, I have to know what I'm dramatizing. I can't just know what the setup is. So 
I treated the nightly show like a narrative type of show. I have to know what I'm what I'm doing. I can't just go up and just make jokes. Mm-hmm. What am I dramatizing? What is it that I'm giving the audience? You know, and I didn't have it two days before we were gonna. We had like one practice show left, and then we we're gonna premiere. And I was up to like four in the morning. I'm tossing and turning. I'm like this is gonna be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought to myself, okay, Larry, at its core, what is the nightly show? If you strip away everything, what is it? And one of my goals when I started the show was, remember, Stephen Colbert had a show in that time slot previously. And Stephen did this great performance art, if you will, type of thing, playing a character, you know, the Bill O'Reilly thing that he was doing. And it was great, you know. And he was, he was delivering us the satire behind this wall of a character, right? <clears throat> and I knew I couldn't do something like that. I don't want to follow Stephen. I want to do my own thing. So I figured, okay, I'm going to do almost the complete inverse of that. So what is it? And I said, okay. I have to be completely authentic to the audience rather than have a wall. I said, okay, well, that makes sense. Well, what does that mean? Go further. I said, okay, I have to keep it 100% real with the audience. And I go, oh, okay, well, maybe that's what the show is. The show is I have to keep it 100. Mm-hmm. Like, keep it 100 at all times. And I went, got it. And once I got that, I knew what the show was. So that told me in my writing in everything that I did, that I had to keep it 100% real with the audience. It didn't matter if I, like we were talking about Bill Clinton. I liked Bill Clinton. He was a good president. Sorry, got to keep it 100. Mm-hmm. You know, you did some bad things. My opinion doesn't matter. The truth is more important, you know. And I tried to put that ethos in the show. In our second episode, I went after Cosby because mm-hmm. I was very upset about that issue, you know. And it was more important for me to defend women who weren't being heard than any opinion I had about Cosby before that. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter. That's what keeping it a hundred was. And so once I got that, I was cl- I had clarity around that, and I was able to produce the show. It was still tough, but at least that helps you in there when you're writing the show. And that, and we ended up coming with the keep it a hundred game and mm-hmm. things like that. You know, being authentic. A little insight in how to do television. <laughs> mm-hmm. Being authentic can mean several different things, mm-hmm. and in a way, nobody you're really right. wa- nobody really wants to see you're you right. and your day. Up right. there, like, you had a crappy day, this happened, that happened, right? Yes. You, you still ultimately have to have a performing persona, yes. right? Yes. And what I mean by that is there is not a wall of performer that is up there mm. that is a character, is that I'm being direct to them and how I'm delivering. That's what I mean by yeah. authentic. Yeah. And, and the type of material I'm presenting has an authenticity as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like, okay, he's talking about something real. He's not just making this up. We had a kid on the show... Once he was supposed to deliver, he was valedictorian for his high school. And in his speech, he was going to come out of the closet. And um, the principal said that he couldn't do that. He ended up calling his parents, and he told his parents, you know, what this, why. And he ended up outing the kid to his parents, and he didn't want to do that. It was a terrible thing. And he ended up not being able to give the speech. So I brought the kid on the show, and I had him give the speech on the show. Mm. You know, and it was great, you know. And, like, the first – and that – that's an authentic thing of what that kid had to say. Like, his speech represented authenticity to me. Mm. You know, he's not just talking about the things you don't really talk about. He was giving an authentic experience to his classmates. That's what he wanted to do. And, of course, he kept it real with me in the first yeah. part of his speech. He's like, and my hero, Stephen Colbert. I was like, wait, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> I put you on this show. <laughs> I put you on this show. He was yeah. hilarious. You know, he did it. He was keeping it real. What am I supposed to do? You gotta mm. Keep it under. We're going to be back in just a second. Right now, we're live from the Twain House with Larry Wilmore. (laughs) 
So you're doing more and more interviewing. Do you think you're a good interviewer? What have you learned about oh, interviewing? God, I, I have no idea. Yeah. Well, I think you have to enjoy it. Yeah. And I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, I really enjoy talking to people. I like learning about them. And I always have, you know. Um, part of why I like to be a writer, because sometimes writers hate being writers. And like I always say, I write because I have a deadline. Like I have that, mm. that sadomasochistic relationship with writing, definitely. But one of the things I like are discovering characters, finding out what people are. I love hearing people's stories, you know. I hate talking about myself. I'd rather them tell me about them, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's why I like interviewing. I, I want to know about them. And I find it intimidating to interview you because you've interviewed, been interviewed by Terry Gross. Oh, she's and, great. And yeah. I feel like that's like having sleeping with someone who's just had sex with Prince or something. You know, it's kind of like, you know, like there's only one direction it can go, you know, from, from Terry Gross. I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what to do with that analogy. Right, yeah. Yeah. Just, hmm. just let it sit there for a moment. Um, <laughs> I was watching today your oh farewell God. moments on the show, and you gave this very lovely speech on the very last nightly show. Thank you. But one thing that you said that was very interesting, and that was something that most people wouldn't say, you said, and to the haters, thank you for your passion. Um, <laughs> and it made me wonder, like, to how the much... Haters? To yeah. the haters? To the haters, yeah. Thank you for your passion. Uh -huh. um, do you think there was anybody that you dealt with at the hater level that you changed just by that kind of nightly conversation, exposure to somebody I, like you? I don't know if I have a desire to change a hater. Right. It's a very interesting premise. But I think what some people, here's what haters did for me. Because hmm. it's amazing the age that we live in, the Twitter age, and how people can communicate with you directly. Because years ago, people would just yell at the television and <laughs> you never heard it, right? <laughs> just in your living room. Now, yelling at the television goes directly to the person on television, <laughs> right? It's, hmm. it's fascinating what technology has done. <clears throat> and before, if people were displeased with you, they had to write a letter, they had to take the time, they had to mail the letter, and you got fan mail. And some people got, you know, this, that, but you can choose not to open that or whatever, you know. But Twitter is an interesting animal because it's so direct and can be so vicious in the threads and all that. I was not ready for this because I always had the kind of fame that I said I was. I wasn't famous enough to suck, you know, <laughs> right? I was because the only people that knew me who knew who I was were people that enjoyed what I did. So once you get too famous, people go, "Oh yeah, that guy sucks," you know. Once you get a certain level, of fame. I didn't have that level of fame. I was happy with that level of fame, right? <laughs> If you get too much fame, you start sucking. Right. You know, <laughs> it's one of the hazards of it. But not only that, but Twitter takes it a step further. So even before my show aired, somebody goes, Larry Wilmore, I hope you and your show fails. And I'm like, what are you talking Let it be a show first. <laughs> Can I first do a show? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, who would take the time? Well, like, what do they have against? What did I do to them? I, I can't they even to this to day. First. That, one, to, yes, yeah. that one sticks out to me because to this day, I don't know what their beef was. Right. Like, I really wish I knew what their beef was. I really do, you know. They but just wanted to be the first people to yes. tell you that you were doing a but show. But Colin, it's fascinating that they took the time to do that. So and somehow they're engaged with what I was doing. <laughs> I've got to stop this Larry one more thing before it gets started. You know? <laughs> this is my job. You guys are going to thank me later for this. <laughs> Larry <Lerner. Yeah. laughs> And that was one that made me laugh, you know. But there were some that were horrible, you guys. I mean, so ugly. And by the way, I'm not unique in this. People get this all the time. And not just in showbiz, in many different lines of work, you know. 
that a certain outpouring of this r rage and hatred, I don't know what it was. I had death threats and all kinds of stuff during the show. And at a certain point, I just said, you know, I don't care. I just don't care. And it actually freed me up. You know, it made me relax more as a performer on stage and allowed me to go to, the, I think, the next level and get better. Because I'm like, who cares what these people think? I really don't. You I could have just gotten off Twitter. You know, probably <laughs> There's always been that. a smart thing to do. Um, I'm not that so you, you mentioned the episode with a young man in the commencement speech. Is there another, a particular episode of the nightly show that you're especially proud of beyond that one? one that you I was always that? proud when we... I was always proudest when we brought people on like that. We mm. brought a young lady on, and her name is Marley. And God, forgive me, Marley, for not remembering her name. But she was a young lady. She was, I think, in middle school. And she wanted people just to read more, and she wanted there to be more books that represented people like mm. her. Mm. And she just loved to read, and I thought, what a great young lady. I mean, I love to read, you know, and her mission was so great, you know, mm. that having her on the show was one of them. I think our finest moments, that type of thing. So other than that, you know, we're doing like that political comedy and that kind of stuff, and it's fun. But you know, those are the things that stick with me. Those two moments. This afternoon, I was telling you that I've been teaching college in the political science department, but teaching political journalism, and a lot of students want to explore the question of what you, Samantha B, John Oliver, John Stewart, Stephen Colbert, back in that show. What kind of impact you're having on journalism? Is what you're doing some kind of substitute for journalism? It certainly God, shapes. I and hope not. <laughs> but but it does. It, it, obviously, you are bringing ideas to people, ideas about politics and sensibilities to mm -hmm. politics. It's not just a, a political comedy jam, right. right? Yeah. Look, I appreciate all that. People would say, "Hey, you know, I don't watch the news. I watch the Daily Show." People would say that all the time. Same with John Oliver. And I, I appreciate that, and I appreciate the fact that people like those shows and they think they're funny. But let's not mistake how important the role of journalism is and how important journalists are and how there's been like this attack on the fourth estate, which I don't like at all. Mm -hmm. And yes, absolutely. It's not good. I mean, there are many... Look, guys, there are many presidents. You could go through, you know... The archives, so many presidents did not like, you know, what the reporters were doing and they made comments about them. It doesn't matter what side of that. But this president in particular, the mantra of fake news that goes on, mm -hmm. like a Gregorian chant, you know, is so disturbing to me because it really devalues the hard work that and the necessary work that the actual journalists do. That work is always going to be more important than the comedy <laughs> that we do because we're commenting on things. But they're delivering us the things, you know, and it's their job to uncover things that we, it's not our job to do that, really. So I like to keep them separate. <laughs> how, how big a thing was news for you heading into The Daily Show? You had a very distinguished career in entertainment hmm. going into The Daily Show. I mean, now you're obviously this incredibly well-informed person who can talk about anything that's in the news. Oh, well, you like in the 90s, Larry. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you more bone thugs and harmony in the 90s? <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. I just wondered whether you had to sort of get your game up as you started to do more. It's of that a great of. question. I think for any project you do, you kind of have to do that in some ways, you know, but you're absolutely right. Um, I wasn't, I was always interested in that stuff, but I, I wasn't at the front of my brain all the time because right. I was you know, writing other things and mm -hmm. thinking of other things. But yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think if there was something before The Daily Show. Well, whenever I did a lot of satire and that kind of stuff, so I was mm -hmm. always 
juggling with these issues. My, one of my first TV jobs was in Living Color, and there were always, yeah. you know, social issues and that type of stuff that we made jokes about. Even back in my stand-up days, I did political humor, mm-hmm. um, you know, way back in the day, and uh, and social jokes and that kind of stuff. So it's always been in there and always kind of laced in. But yeah, when it, doing the Daily Show and that type of humor pulls it to the front of your brain of like having to really know what's going on all the time. Right. There's there's a way in which it went from you know what I know Johnny Carson's a big influence for you, mm-hmm. but Johnny Carson didn't have a detailed nuanced understanding of the news anymore. I mean, for David Letterman, Clinton was either eating too much fast food or really horny, and, Bill, <laughs> and George Bush is really dumb, and yeah. you didn't really have to have much more than that really simplified tag. Yeah. And that kind of won't cut it anymore, I feel like. Well, I don't know about that. I don't have an opinion on that. I think some of these things, you know, you know, they could be cyclical, faddish. I mean, who knows? Television works like that. Um, for me, it's what I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it interests me to do that, and Fortunately for me, the audience is interested in it now, but 10 years from now, they might not be interested in it. They may mm. just want escapist you know, stuff. But that's okay. The audience changes or whatever. But it, luckily, it's just what I'm interested in. John Oliver, same thing. You know, we're both, we both like doing that kind of stuff. You mm. know? And John Stewart kind of evolved. You know? yes. he, was, you know, he had the show on MTV. He was kind of a music show. You know? He was just a, he was a, kind of a broad, funny host. You mm-hmm. know? He was really funny in those days. Oh, yeah. Well, he was always funny, of course. But the Daily Show kind of, he kind of changed that over the course of about a year and a half, two years, mm-hmm. once he had the show, and he realized it just wasn't doing what he wanted it to do, I think, you know, and he kind of made it more into what it became, you know, now, you know. The first time I remember seeing you on The Daily Show, I don't know if it was the first time, you were complaining that Black History Month was too long. Yeah, I guess. Uh. Sure, see? They're laughing because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and and what I noticed there also was that you were being very funny, and funny in a slightly different way than I'd seen other correspondents be funny. But also that Stuart was really being a great straight man for yeah, you, too. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Yeah, I think my joke was uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 400 years of slavery, and then we get 28 days of trivia. I'd rather we got casinos, right. I think, was, which is the name of the book. <laughs> the name of the book. There you go. Also available in T-shirt and plush toy right. out in the lobby, but yeah. But you were sort of challenging him to name some famous black people, uh, <laughs> besides the Wayans. Besides the Wayans, yeah. the yeah. lesser Wayans. Tom was always a good foil. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I also want to ask you just a, a little bit about the, probably the most thankless job sure. that you have ever had. Although I don't know all the jobs you've ever had, but I would right. say right. stand up at the White House Correspondents' Dinner sure. is like I don't know. Did you talk to oh, Miss? Wow. Did you, we just lost the audience. <laughs> oh, thank you. We just I got them back. That's I don't know great. why anybody takes this gig anymore, but did you, did you talk to Michelle Wolf before she did hers? Or, I don't even know if you know no, her. No, no. I, yeah. I don't know Michelle. I didn't have a chance to. Before Hassan did his, I sent him a couple of notes and just said, you know, just do you, you know, just hmm. be yourself, that type of thing. But it was something I actually had wanted to do because I wanted to do Obama's last one, you mm-hmm. know. I thought it would be nice to do. <laughs> you know, and I viewed it kind of as a roast. I thought right. that's what it was supposed <laughs> yeah. to Seriously, I thought that's what it was. Not like the Dean Martin roast, not like those, you know, where everybody's drunk. But, but uh, people started getting mad, and I was like, sorry, not sorry. You know? yeah. um, and then they got really mad. Uh, <laughs> and then it was over. Right. <laughs> that's pretty much how it worked. 
And I was like, hmm, okay, all right. But I sort of think they just shouldn't do it, right? I mean, it's it's almost impossible for anybody to succeed there because it's an audience that takes itself very seriously. There almost isn't a way, I don't know, is there a way to win there, you know? I'll be honest with you, though. If I had never done it and Trump was going to be there <laughs> and somebody asked me to do it, I absolutely would do it. Right. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Can I mean, think about it, guys. The leader of the free world, <laughs> Donald J. Trump, yeah. is sitting right here, and I get to sling some jokes? Yeah. That would be fantastic. I would yeah. love that. Because a lot of people said, oh, no, they should boycott. No! <laughs> Opposite of boycott. I have one word for you about that. Rendition. You just wind up in a prison in some, you know, like, something like, this way? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He doesn't have a great sense of humor about all this stuff. No, whatever. Mm. <laughs> I don't care. I really don't care. We're live from the Twain House with Larry Wilmore. <laughs> yep. We're going to be right back. Hi. Usually right here at this point, Kyone Wolf comes on and tells you who did what, but she's not here right now, so I will tell you that the crew that we had at the Twain House consisted of Betsy Kaplan, Jonathan McPants, and Carlos Mejia. Jonathan McPants then took over this thing and edited it into a terrific program that you're listening to right now. Carlos will be working on some very uh, cool video from this program that you may see in the future. Amanda Fish didn't come because we didn't have any place, any tank of water for her to be in. The part of Bill Curry was played by John Oliver. We'll be back tomorrow, if that word means anything to you, with a show about regret, which we do not regret doing. Now, back to the conversation you've been listening to. And so if you have questions... Or Larry. Hi, I'm Ellen. Um, Hi, Ellen. I really, really loved your show on oh, Comedy Central. You. And um, one of my favorite bits was when um, someone stole the cardboard Larry from Oh, Flat Room. Larry, yeah. Um, yeah. And I was wondering if you could... Um, that was a true thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I really enjoyed that. And I was Ever since the show went off, I was wondering what happened to cardboard Larry. Okay, so if you don't know this story, here's what happened. So we had... You know, they have promotional stuff for the show. And in the lobby, there's a big flat out of me, you know, a, a cardboard thing. And so we saw on uh, somebody stole it. And on the surveillance video, we see the guy taking it. <laughs> Not only that, he posts online or something of him on the subway <laughs> with Flat Larry. And we see who it is. We know... We saw him take, it was hilarious, and I'm pleading with him, please, first of all, don't do anything horrible to Flat Larry, <laughs> or unspeakable, please don't, Leave, be nice to Flat Larry, you know, I never know what happened to him, there was, luckily for me, there was a second Flat Larry that I have, and it's in my house, and it always scares people, because <laughs> it's like in a room, people go to the bathroom, they go, oh, and I go, ah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's Flat Larry, long story, hard to so I have the other flat, Larry. So. In, at the uh, WNPR building, and I think they made a lot of them, we have one of those of Kai Ristall, the host of Marketplace. And the same thing is done, which is somebody moves Kai around to where you're not expecting him. So you go around a corner or you're, you go into a stall in the men's room or something, and there's Kai, and you scream. And we have found out that Kai Ristall does not think that is funny, too. Like, uh, <laughs> like... Like, apparently everybody all at stations all around America yeah. are messing with Flat Kai, <laughs> yeah. and he does not think that's funny. But I love the fact of how bold it was, like this bold daytime robbery. 
<laughs> I mean, because people are in there, and he has to get up, and he's taking it, and spy versus spy, everything. It was, it's unbelievable to me that people can be that bold. Right. You know? you, I wonder if he had, a, like, a cover story to explain that. You were <laughs> yeah. challenged. Oh, I dropped my... I thought that was mine. I, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Here, take it back then. Yeah. I like when people get mad when they get cut. Well, take it back. <laughs> you were stealing it. <laughs> mm. All right, what do we got? Yeah, yeah, I wanted to ask about Kanye West. I guess in terms of, like, if you disagree with what he's currently saying and doing, like, what do you think, morally speaking, like, looking at his past discography and, like, still liking that? Like, how do, how do you feel about that conflict? That I was not conflicted the way a lot of people are. I don't have a problem with that um, equation or whatever it is. I always thought Kanye was a little whatever. I mean, the whole Taylor Swift thing and all that stuff, you know. But look, some of those, some geniuses are a little just crazy. They just don't have it all together, you know, or whatever. But I think people disagreed with him, and that caused a problem with them liking what he did. I, I'm like, whatever. I don't care that he has an opinion of who he's voting for the president. I mean, I never thought that, you know, when I listened to, <laughs> to Bootsy Collins and the mothership, you know, if they voted for Reagan, I wouldn't have cared. You know, <laughs> I'm I still want to hear from the rubber band. You know, funk was funk. You know, it didn't mean anything. I don't know why. Sometimes I just don't know why that makes such a difference to people that he has this opinion of why he likes Trump, and he likes him for superficial reasons too, which makes it even more of why do you care? You know, really, he likes him for the same reasons that Trump sells Trump vodka. You know, like not for reasons of trade or immigration or those types of things. You know, Trump steak is why he likes them. <laughs> right? Mm. It really is true, and that yeah. makes sense for him, you know. So the short answer is I really don't care. Mm. Uh, I'm guessing if Bootsy Collins voted for Reagan, it was not in 1980 or 84. Yeah. He would have just voted like <laughs> yes. some other year. In 76, actually, <laughs> when he ran against Ford. That would be awesome, yeah. yeah. I would have a very different opinion of Bootsy. I'd have to rethink it, yeah. All right, so, yeah. First question, having been heavily involved in, like, the forefront of, like, a breaking the wall comedy, which is what Bernie Mac was, mm. and being involved in, in Living Color, how do you feel about the development of television now? Like, how there's a lot more one-camera shows, I guess really just Gerard Carmichael shows, but a lot of one-camera shows, mm -hmm. and then how do you feel about, this is the second question, a lot of reboots happening, not giving new people chances to produce Yeah, about television. the style of television. Yeah. Television, it's so sad, you know. Um, it always is kind of two steps behind the result on something. It always, it likes to chase what is successful rather than innovate. It has been innovative in some ways, but it's very difficult to do things innovative, and it's really because of the process. You know, when I did the Bernie Mac show, you're right, there were no single camera shows. Most of the shows were done taped in front of an, of an audience and shot with a laugh track and that type of stuff. So it was very, one of the reasons why I wanted to do it that way was, was because it was different. And now it's kind of reversed. A lot of the comedies on television look like a film. You know, they're shot like that, and there are very few that are done in front of an audience. Actually, I'd like to do that type of show again just because it's not being done, and I think if you do it well, it can be very enjoyable. But um, TV's always changing. It goes in cycles sometimes. I think we're in a good cycle for quality, but it's not television anymore. You can't really call it that. This isn't an HBO commercial. You can't really call it that. It's really content now because the way things are being delivered, 
you know, sometimes it's on your phone, sometimes it's streaming, you know, whatever. Television is defined by the way it's delivered to you, believe it or not. I was on the board of directors for the Writers Guild, and you had to know all these definitions because when you're in a contract negotiations, you had to specifically negotiate for a very specific form of content delivery. And television is signals sent over the air and comes into your house, you know. But these other forms are different, you know, and so they require different definitions, but the audience experiences them different too. Like, you, there's more of an ownership that people have with, with their shows now, you know, they you know they binge them, that kind of stuff, they take it with them, it's in their pocket, so they feel like it's theirs now, so there's more of a personal relationship. Before, television was more about broadcasting, appealing to the broadest audience, so the shows kind of reflected that. Now it's more narrow casting, you know, they're more niche shows, you can say, that appeal to specific audiences. That's why you have shows like, a show like Transparent can be out there. Never could have been out there before because it's, it appeals to a specific audience that might be interested in that topic, you know. So I think it's great when you have all these opportunities. And by the way, if anybody's interested in that field, there's so many ways to get attention now. I worked, you know, I co-created Insecure with Issa Rae. And uh, thank you very much. But Issa was making a name for herself on, on the web already. When she was in college, she started her own web show. She, she didn't need, there didn't have to be a guard, there was no guardian at the gate who wouldn't let her in. She just did it herself. So I think that's great. All right, well, we need a question. We need now, and you've got the microphone. We need a question that just lands the plane. You've got to give him the Thanks. chance to land the plane. So do you have that question? Can I get off the plane? I don't know. You don't have to land the plane. You've got to okay. set him up to land the plane. God. This was like just one question, and it was silly. It's the Twain house. You have Twain on your podcast. What do you want to talk about? Why you got to call him a nigga, man? Come on. <laughs> you got to do that. Come on, man. No, no, I don't want a cigar. Just answer the question. Come on. <laughs> I, I, think, I think you just landed the plane. Hey, come on, man. I think I did land you the plane. You landed the plane. Yeah. Larry Wilmore landed the plane. 